Welcome to the podcast of the universe. Warning. Steve is on his bullshit again. Let's start the show. Welcome back. This is Podcast of the Universe. Broadcasting to you live, not really, from a clandestine location in Milledgeville, with an undecipherable message meant for spies behind enemy lines. You know I haven't seen Hats in so long, I've almost forgotten the smell of his musk. He's still part of the show. I'll be sending this recording to him, and he'll be looking after it on his end, but for you, the listener, it won't be any different. Before we kick things off, there are still no mysterious lights. You know, the Talpa, it's not been seen in the St. John Harbor. I mean, it could be there, and this pandemic is just keeping everyone in. That's why no one's seeing it or reporting it. Yeah, that's what's happening. Personal news, I've taken a hiatus from Instagram for a little over a week now until uploading the show. I'll be posting it there. I'm not quitting Instagram. I don't think I am. More of a break. I lurk on Twitter every once in a, every once in a while, like twice a day, uh, but for news and not posting anything. That's pretty much been it for social media. I still open Instagram as as a habit, then I close it. And once or twice, I let a couple stories play, but that's about it. You get those notifications. Like so-and-so hasn't posted in a while or someone added something to their story and just had a reflex. I hit it and open it. Maybe I want to change the way I use it. Or maybe I want to change the frequency that I use Instagram. I'm still saving ridiculous videos to my phone to potentially post just in case. I almost uploaded a, a nude picture of Shrek that was quite menacing just to see if it would be removed, but then I didn't. I think the last thing I did on Instagram was I sent a DM to Tostitos because I had multiple flat scoops in my bag. They didn't respond either. Anyway, let's move on. I'll sort out my Instagram conundrum off the air. Today we're gathered to talk about number stations. I remember when I found out about number stations, I was immediately fascinated. I think that we, I know I do, but I assume everyone is like me in this way. We forget about all the invisible information that's floating all around us all the time. And to think that I could potentially tap into a message intended for spies that led me to getting a shortwave radio. And I'm going to have to give a disclaimer. I'll probably repeat myself. Numerous times throughout the episode, I have no idea about the technology of shortwave radio or the frequency or how the frequencies work, how they bounce around, what equipment is needed. But the shortwave radio that I bought, it did allow me to pick up shortwave radio broadcasts, but not the ones I was looking for. The ones I found were crazy evangelical broadcasts or foreign languages that I didn't understand. But a big part of my failure was not realizing 
the levels of the level of equipment necessary to pick up shortwave. Ignorantly, uh, I thought this thirty-five dollar radio from Radio Shack would open the entire world of shortwave up to me. Still, I I diligently kept a logbook of dates and times, the frequencies and details of the content, so I could find them again. I recently discovered a, an online shortwave tuner that I'm playing around with. If you Google uh, Wideband WebSDR, one word, uh, it should come up. If that doesn't get you there, this is spe uh, specific URL is WebSDR.EWI.UTWENTE.NL. And playing with shortwave radio reminds me of when I was a little kid. I used to lay in bed late at night, and I'd have my my yellow Sony Walkman cassette player, and I'd use the radio. I'd have my headphones on, and I would slowly turn the dial through, just looking for anything that wasn't familiar, maybe discover something new. And I get that kind of same feeling with, with shortwave. And since we'll be discussing shortwave, uh, here's an explanation I found online that would make more sense than anything I could spit out. So shortwave radio uses frequencies between about 10 and 40 megahertz to communicate directly point to point by reflecting signals off the ionosphere. The advantage is that no relay station is, or satellite is required. The ionosphere is a natural layer of charged particles from 50 to 200 miles above the Earth, created by solar radiation. The charged layer reflects signals back to Earth that would otherwise stream out into space. Shortwave broadcasting was a very big deal up until the advent of the internet. It's still around, but it is in decline. Early radio systems used very long wavelength signals, sometimes 20,000 meters or longer. Such signals tend to hug the Earth's surface and for a while it was thought that the longer wavelengths gave longer range, radio amateurs were relegated to wavelengths shorter than 200 meters because they were thought to be useless. However, they found out that short wavelengths around 30 meters gave very long ranges under some circumstances and shortwave was born. It was later determined that this was due to the ionospheric reflection called skywave. Radio amateurs still use these frequencies today and communicate via SkyWave all the time. Again, I cannot stress enough that I am very ignorant on the inner workings of all of this and most of the jargon. And before we get on to the meat of the episode, let me welcome you to the first and possibly like last segment called You... Wait. Why don't I have Joe Pesci tell you what the name of this segment is? You motherfucker, you! That's right, you motherfucker, you. Louisiana pastor Tony Spell isn't worried about COVID-19, and defiantly he has held church services despite the CDC recommendations and the executive orders from the government. And by the way, Louisiana has almost 26,000 of COVID-19 and 1,540 deaths. That's probably higher now. Spell told media outlets that the pandemic is politically motivated, the government is overreaching, that he is breaking no laws, and that preventing someone 
I'm sorry, from preventing sermons. Well, that's a persecution of the faith. For holding services, he was slapped with a misdemeanor summons for six counts of violating the government guidelines. And then Spell afterwards held an Easter weekend service after receiving the summons. And about 1,220 people attended. Some were bussed in and others drove more than 100 miles to be there. And the headlines don't stop. He began a hashtag. It was hashtag Pastor Spell Stimulus Challenge. And he was asking Americans to give their stimulus checks to the church. And if they don't have a church, well, luckily enough, you can just send it to them and they will see that it is given to evangelists and missionaries. Central Police Chief Roger Cochran said in a statement on March 31st, Instead of showing the strength and resilience of our community during this difficult time, Mr. Spell has chosen to embarrass us for his own self-promotion. Mr. Spell will have his day in court where he will be held responsible for his reckless and irresponsible decisions that endangered the health of his congregation and our community. Spell was then again arrested on April 21st for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, for backing his church bus close to a protester, and that's caught on film if you want to check that out. So later that day after his arrest, his wife showed up at the jail flashing 5,000 in bills for the media and supporters to see. Uh, after Spell emerged from the jail, he flashed a V for victory sign, and his gathered flock, who were there to support him, raised their hands in worship, cheering. After being released, Spell gave a press conference telling reporters, I'm not guilty of any charges that I have been accused of. I am not guilty of assault with a deadly weapon. I am not guilty of defying any orders. The only thing I am guilty of is practicing my faith, which was given to me by Jesus Christ himself. April 26, Spell led another Sunday service while wearing an ankle monitor. He has an ankle monitor because he wouldn't promise uh, the judge to follow the guidelines, so they gave him an ankle monitor. Anyway, he told his congregation, it's a dirty, rotten shame when you're hiding in America. Its members sang and waved signs reading, I stand with Pastor Spell. And a fun fact, it's not fun, uh, at least one church member has died after contracting COVID-19. And I grew up in an evangelical church, and I'm still carrying bitterness. Maybe that's a show for another day where I can uh, do a fun show on faith healing, speaking in tongues, and these sort of characters from that, from that world. But scumbags like this always boil my blood. A little bit more, I think, because of my, my upbringing. And although I, I don't subscribe to the Bible, this dude allegedly does, and he should be familiar with the, the main man saying, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I uh, am among them. You tell him, Joe Pesci. You motherfucker, you! Now back to the show. A number station is a shortwave radio station that broadcasts encrypted messages, which are believed to be intended for spies or intelligence officers secretly operating in foreign countries. Most discovered stations are found to use speech via computer programs to vocalize numbers, words, or phrases, while some broadcast Morse code transmissions. Most stations have set time schedules or schedule patterns. However, some stations appear to broadcast seemingly at random. The first known number stations were during World War I, where broadcasts were transmitted in Morse code. 
Number stations were rampant during the Cold War era, and many continue to operate, and some have even new operators. The Czech Ministry of the Interior and the Swedish Security Service have both acknowledged the use of number stations by Czechoslovakia for espionage, uh, with declassified documents proving the same. With few exceptions, uh, no QSL responses have been received from number stations by shortwave listeners who sent reception reports to said stations, which is the expected behavior of a non-clandestine station. Now, a QSL is a statement or a question. QSL with a question mark means, do you confirm receipt of my transmission? And QSL with no question means, I confirm receipt of your transmission. Beginning in the 20s and 30s, uh, someone would pick up a distant shortwave signal. They would mail a reception report, hoping to receive an official confirmation back that they had uh, found, found and heard that station. These would be collected with pride that their setup uh, had reached these far-off broadcasts. I actually stopped researching at this point, went on eBay and found one uh, and bought it, and it's already arrived. The one I purchased uh, was a listener from the U.S. who heard one in Russia. Uh, it's dated March 1st, 1972, uh, and I will use that picture uh, for this episode uh, on Instagram and uh, for the thumbnail. So, how does a spy translate a number station broadcast? Uh, it's almost always a one-time pad. A one-time pad are used for encoding and decoding messages, and such correspondence is resistant to disclosure. Encoding is divided into two stages. Uh, one, uh, the letters of the original message are converted into numbers, and two, the same numbers are added to numbers from the notepad using simple math operations. And since the numbers on the cipher pad sheets are absolutely random, every sheet has to be destroyed to avoid it being compromised. Some ciphers use math keys uh, generated using algorithms. Such keys are not random, but can be decrypted by today's modern computers rather quickly. A major issue of the one-time pad is the necessity to replace them after all the sheets are used. Uh, usually one-time pads are small, sometimes small enough to fit on the back of a stamp. Every letter of the alphabet has its own number, equivalent, and letters are replaced with numbers from the table. Over the years, the receivers became portable and got down to the size of a pack of cigarettes. It wouldn't draw any attention as it appeared to just be another portable radio, uh, which were common. Uh, if you listen to Wilco's 2002 album, Yankee uh, Hotel Foxtrot, you've heard number station recordings. Uh, here's a piece of an article from Wired.com that I found uh, discussing the use of the recordings for that album. So in 1998, London-based Earl Dial Discs put out a four-CD collection of broadcasts from so-called number stations. Mysterious shortwave transmissions, allegedly sent by the world's intelligence agencies of monotone readers spewing alphanumeric streams. On the first of the discs, a woman in an indecipherable accent, a Mossad agent according to legend, keeps repeating three words, Yankee, Hotel, Foxtrot. It's the same recording that loops for a minute and a half during Poor Places on the 10th track on Wilco's 2002 album. Uh, after a two-year legal fight, uh, Jeff Tweedy agreed to an out-of-court settlement to give Aiken Fernandez, Erdile's owner and sole employee, a substantial royalty for the recording. Fernandez is trumpeting his victory as a classic David and Goliath confrontation, but copyright lawyers and intellectual property activists aren't so sure. 
How exactly, they're wondering, does a guy get ownership over something he taped off the radio? Erdile has made its spycast captures and the rest of its catalog available for people to download and share, but making, fun, making money from the works without company's permission is restricted. Even though number of stations were bumping during the Cold War, they're still going strong. In 1998, a Cuban spy ring was broken up by U.S. federal agents. Several members pled guilty to various charges, and the five of them who became known as the Cuban Five went to trial. They were convicted in 2001 and sentenced to long prison terms. Uh, in Cuba, they were known as the Five Heroes. Their photographs were plastered on billboards throughout the country, and their case became or their case made them heroes at home. As the years passed and the courts in the U.S. reduced the sentences of some of the men, Cuban officials petitioned for the return, arguing that the infiltrations had been necessary to monitor potential terrorist threats against Cuba uh, from Florida and that they were not there to spy on the U.S. And various activists in the United States and abroad also began advocating their release. After two of the men served their terms and went back to Cuba, those efforts concentrated on the remaining three. On December 17, uh, 2014, the remaining three were released in a prisoner swap with Cuba for American intelligence officer Rolando Saraf, uh, Trujillo. An American contractor named Alan Philip Gross was also released at the time, but both governments said that that was unrelated to the swap. The swap was largely to improve U.S.-Cuba relations. This Cuban spying was using a number station commonly known as HMO1 and also known as Vos de la Chica. Here's a recording from that station. Cinco, tres, cinco, siete, cuatro, siete, cinco, cuatro, cero, ocho, cuatro, dos, cinco, siete, siete, cero, seis, seis, ocho, cuatro, dos, cinco, cinco, cuatro, cinco, ocho, cinco, uno, cinco, cuatro, cinco, tres, cinco, siete, cuatro, You know, after listening to that, we probably could have shortened that clip, but here we are. Again, as I said earlier, incredibly ignorant regarding this uh, shortwave radio business, the technical aspects, but something I keep seeing come up is the term data bursts uh, and that they're mentioned in the next number station. So before we get there, let's check the Wikipedia machine and see what it says about data bursts. In telecommunication, a burst transmission, or data burst, is the broadcast of a relatively high bandwidth transmission over a short period. Burst transmissions can be intentional, uh, broadcasting a compressed message at a very high data signaling rate within a very short transmission time. This technique is popu popular with the military and spies, who both wish to, main to minimize the chance of the radio transmission being detected, with a low probability of intercept and low probability of recognition. So, this brings us to the Yosemite SAM number station. So, beginning in December 2004, the FCC began getting reports of the Yosemite SAM transmissions, which began as 800 millisecond data burst that was immediately followed by a clip of Yosemite SAM announcing, Varmint, I'm going to blow you to smithereens. 
So radio geeks slash conspiracy trackers slash curious people pin down the phrase from the 1949 Bugs Bunny cartoon, Bunker Hill. Why it's attached to a burst of compressed information, often used by intelligence community, is mysterious enough. That it is transmitted on four frequencies, uh, 3700, 4300, 6500, and 10,500 kilohertz for a full two minutes without any missed time marks tends to make it all more mysterious. Here's a clip from the Yosemite Sam broadcast. I found a message board uh, from 2005, and it was mentioning uh, two ham radio dudes uh, that found the location of the Yosemite Sam broadcast. So it goes on to say, This week when a pair of New Mexico hams decided to trace down some interference on the 75-meter band, they had no idea that they may have been entering a world of spy versus spy. Or should we say hams versus spy? Here's more. On Wednesday, February 16th, Mike Stark, WA5OIP, and Mike Langner, KM5GR, set out to locate some annoying interference on 3.700 MHz, a signal that had been on the band since last December. The interference manifested itself as a digital burst, or digital data burst, followed by an audio clip from Yosemite Sam. Uh, each transmission ended with the famous line where Sam says, Vermin, I'm going to blow you to smithereens. The interference came on for just a few seconds at intervals of just under two minutes. The fact that Yosemite Sam was loud and clear told Stark and Langner that the interference was intentional and simply not a transmitter gone berserk. Using Stark's mobile installation, the pair quickly found that the signal grew stronger as they headed west. They then shifted to the Potomac Field intensity meter with a shielded loop antenna. Using this gear, they located the offending transmitter at the MATIC facility on the Laguna Indi uh, Indian Reservation. The MATIC is an acronym for the Mobility Assessment Test and Integration Center. This is a military facility used to develop advanced uh, battlefield communication systems and not generally known to the public. The two hams drove up to the building. At no time did they leave the public highway. Langner began taking pictures of the towers and antennas in the building. Immediately, a not very friendly guy started walking towards their truck. He was yelling and gesturing for the hams to stop taking pictures and to go away. Langner and Stark beat a hasty retreat, and then the ham radio uh, hunters found the interfering transmitter about 2.30 in the afternoon, and the signal went off the air around 5.30 that evening and has not heard from since. Like Bugs Bunny used to say, I knew I should have taken that left turn at Albuquerque. That was a joke by me because Laguna is 50 miles from Albuquerque. Pause for laughter. So next one. <clears throat> this one is the beacon of hate. That's what it's called. 
Steve Yates is a ham radio operator for a website that documents his bizarre discoveries. Uh, you can find the website at aa5tb.com. Mr. Yates found a curious station broadcasting Morse code, a station that others dubbed the Beacon of Hate. When he translated it, the purpose wasn't clear. It didn't seem a code meant for a spy. And here are some of the transmissions. There, and it was, it's filled with spelling errors. The U.S. government ripped off the camels. They can't put In God We Trust on the money. Another transmission was, print the tracks. Camels don't pay taxes. The U.S. government says the mark of the beast. Uh, the mark of the beast in God we trust. Jesus Christ be cursed. Kill all the porn and religions off for real camels or kill. Another one. Uh, just walk in Ephrat. The camels can't give you back. Give them all their money back and tell them all, fuck you, pay the full amount for wine and roses. 91 years of tracks and 15 years of chasing until they're all 42 PFUS. Not sure what that means. Uh, here's another transmission. Take all the wives from the porn and religions, camels, you took mine for 15 years. Another message. Kill all the porn and religions off. For real. You can't live right on the hog and have your wife too. Uh, or this one. Blow up the dome. Kill off billions. Camels, you guys, don't want to print the tracks or do the chasing for 15 years until you're 42p. You camels owe us millions of trillions of tracks and 15 years of chasing until you're 42p fuse with no pay. It goes on like this. Uh, lots of print, printing the tracks, killing the porn and religion. Uh, lots of mention of camels. Uh, Americans are fuckers, kill them all off for real. Um, and it goes on. So we can't pretend to know the thought process of someone who I assume is deranged. Uh, but this is a person with uh, very strong and pretty much illegible opinions. Why the hassle of broadcasting on shortwave radio and Morse code? Surely there are better ways to be belligerent on more accessible platforms. Maybe he puts these messages everywhere, I don't know. But uh, it's like someone was transmitting YouTube-level comments. So I'm going to guess I'm going to say that maybe mental illness was an issue here, or maybe a weird prank to fuck with people. I don't know. That wasn't so much a number station, but a mysterious broadcast. Uh, the next one will be the Russian number station, very popular. I'm sure you've all heard it. It is the it is the UVB76, also known as the buzzer. And I dug into this one quite a bit more, but let's play that clip first before we get into it. Восемьдесят два на имена 
If you want to check the buzzer out for yourself without any equipment or going to the website I had mentioned earlier, you can actually just go to YouTube and they have a live stream of that channel. Uh, so you can check that out on YouTube. So let's get into, I thought this was a, the best example of a, of a mysterious number station. So from a lonely rusted tower in a forest north of Moscow, a mysterious shortwave radio station transmitted 24-7 since at least 1982 up until 1992. It broadcasted almost nothing but beeps, then switched to buzzes between 21 and 34 per minute, each lasting roughly a second. The signal was believed to originate from the grounds of the Voyeni Gordok, uh, which means uh, mini military city, uh, near the village of Povaravo. Uh, occasionally, once every few weeks, the regular scheduled broadcast was interrupted by a male voice reciting brief sequences of numbers or words, often strings of Russian names, Anna, Nikolai, Ivan, Tatiana, Roman. But the balance of the airtime was filled by a steady, almost maddening series of inexplicable tones. The amplitude and pitch of the buzzing sometimes shifted, and the intervals between the tones would fluctuate. Every hour on the hour, the station would buzz twice quickly. Uh, none of the upheavals that had developed Russia in the last decade of the Cold War in the first two decades of the post-Cold War era, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, Perestroika, the end of the Afghan war, the Soviet implosion, uh, the end of price controls, Boris Yeltsin, the bombing of parliament, the first Chechen war, the oligarchs, the financial crisis, the second Chechen war, the rise of Putinism. None of that ever kept UB, I'm sorry, UVB 76 off the air. Um, it just continued. So during that time, its broadcast came to transfix a small group of shortwave radio enthusiasts who tuned in and documented nearly every signal, uh, every signal it transmitted. Although the buzzer, as they nicknamed it, has always been an unknown quantity, it was also a reassuring constant droning on with a dark, metronome-like regularity. They don't know just what they're listening to, but they're fascinated by the unending strangeness of the mindless beeping. But on June 5th, 2010, the buzzing stopped. No announcements, no explanations, just silence. The following day, the broadcast resumed as if nothing happened. For the rest of June and July, UVB-76 behaved more or less as it always had. There were some short-lived changes, including bits of what sounded like Morse code, but nothing dramatic. In mid-August, the buzzing stopped again. It resumed, stopped again, started again. And then on August 25th at 10.13 a.m., the buzzer went entirely haywire. <clears throat> haywire. Words are hard. <laughs> First there was silence, then a series of knocks and shuffles that made it sound like someone was in the room. Before this day, all the beeping, buzzing, the codes, the numbers, they all seemed mysterious and somehow nefarious hovering on the airwaves. Now it seemed as though the wizard were suddenly about to reveal himself. For the first week of September, transmissions were interrupted frequently, usually with what sounded like recorded snippets of Dance of the Little Swans from uh, Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. On the evening of September 7th, something more dramatic, one listener even called it existential, transpired. At 8.48pm Moscow time, a male voice issued a new call sign, Mikhail Dmitri Zenya Boris, indicating that the station was now to be called 
MDZHB. This was followed by one of the buzzer's typically nebulous messages. 04979DRENDOUT, followed by a longer series of numbers, and then TRENERSKIY, and yet more numbers. Just a few years before, such a remarkable development on a shortwave station would have been noted by only a tiny group of hobbyists. But starting the previous June, after the first mysterious outage, a feed of UVB76 had been made available online, uh, still there, UVB-76.net, cobbled together by an Estonian tech entrepreneur named Andras Aislaid, I'm sure that's how it's pronounced, nailed it, who has been enthralled by shortwave radio since first grade. Uh, shortwave was an early form of the internet, says Aislaid, who goes by the nickname Laid. Uh, you dial in, you never know what you're going to listen to. Uh, during one 24-hour period at the height of the buzzer's freakout in August of 2010, more than 41,000 people listened to Aislaid's feed. Within months, tens of thousands, then hundreds of thousands were visiting uh, from the U.S., Russia, Britain, Czech Republic, Brazil, Japan, Croatia, and elsewhere. By opening up the buzzer to an online audience, Aislaid had managed to take shortwave radio, one of the most niche hobbies imaginable, and rejuvenate it for the 21st century. As you might expect, the buzzer's history is murky. Roughly 40 years ago, the Soviets built a radio station near Povarovo, a 40-minute drive northwest of Moscow. At the time, Leonid Brezhnev was still alive. The Kremlin presided over the intercontinental empire, and Soviet troops were battling the Mujahideen after the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, it was revealed that Povarovo was controlled by the military and that whatever happened there was top secret. Uh, shortwave radio aficionados developed various hypotheses about the role of the station in Russia's sprawling military communication network. It was a forgotten node, one theory ran, set up to serve some function now lost deep in the bureaucracy. Uh, or it was a top secret signal others believed that transmitted messages to Russian spies in foreign countries. More ominously countered another theory that UVB-76 served as nothing less than the epicenter of the former Soviet Union's Dead Hand Doomsday device, which had been programmed to launch a wave of nuclear missiles at the U.S. in the event uh, the Kremlin was flattened by a sneak attack. The least sexy theory, which posited that the buzzer was testing the thickness of the ionosphere, has never enjoyed much support. Before Oslade's internet relay in the events of 2010, the dedicated trackers of the UVB-76 probably numbered no more than a thousand. Some had been listening in in their spare time since the 1980s hold up in attics, garages, basements, and cluttered offices. Many spent their days working uh, for large organizations, insurance companies, telecommunication conglomerates, militaries, universities. They lived in West Germany, Britain, Netherlands, the US. Some hesitated to disclose their locations to fellow listeners. Others used pseudonyms or handles and before the fall of communism, many of them actually believed they were in danger, assuming that they could be tracked through technological methods that were never quite clear. Uh, by the same shadowy forces, KGB agents or radio engineers at the CIA or M16 or, sorry, MI6, not M16, or MI6, or the Mossad. They controlled the stations they obsessed over. The listeners often thought that they might have unearthed something top secret, that there were files at foreign spy agencies with their names on them. They loved that they didn't know what they were listening to and were fascinated by the 
unending strangeness of the persistent, mindless, clandestine evil beeping. It was thrilling, says Ari Boender, 57, a financial consultant who lives near Rotterdam, Netherlands. He first tuned into UVB 76 in January 1983. He says he didn't mean to. He was looking for another station rolling across the dial, and suddenly he heard the crackly, wispy beep, 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 and it stopped. This is how many fans talk about their discovery of the station. It was late, and they were looking for something else, a weather channel, a maritime report, or some Air Force chatter when all of a sudden UVB 76 broke through the ether and they were captivated. They were unable to stop listening to the haunting pulse that bleated through the cold and snowy dark all the way to the receivers. The question, the question they all wanted answered was, what the hell is this? The fun is and was to find out who they are, where they transmit from, and what the purpose is, Bowender says. Before the internet, shortwave fans knew of one another's existence largely through niche publications, whether photocopied newsletters like Monitoring Times or small circulation magazines like Popular Communications. Uh, the cover line on the October 1985 issue was eavesdropping on aircraft communications. If something exciting happened on UVB 76, where there was an uptick in the duration of the beeps from 1.9 or 2.2 seconds, or when the timber of the beeping waxed or shifted, or when there was a rare pause in the transmission, fans would write in and speculate about the possible meanings. They would clock the frequency of the beeping and listen for discrepancies or numbers or voices just beneath the veil of sound. They would ferret out other subscribers to the newsletters they received and other members of the shortwave radio associations they belonged to and share their findings. Even today, listening to UVB 76 is like listening to a world that hasn't existed for decades. This feels especially true late at night when you're in a dark basement, headset on, enveloped by all the pops and whirs and snippets of anonymous voices from other signals seeping across the airwaves. These little trips into fantasy, as room 641A puts it, that happens when you're sitting in front of your receiver passing by Radio Havana at 3 in the morning. Most observers believe that UVB 76 is idiosyncratic example of what's called a number station, uh, used to communicate encrypted messages to spies or other agents. Typically, these stations transmit numbers in groups of five, making it impossible to detect uh, partitions between words and sentences. The numbers can be decoded using a key in the possession of the intended listener. Number stations are thought to have existed since World War I, as documented by the Connet Project, a compilation of recordings first released in 1997, and we discussed that earlier with that Wilco album. Director Cameron Crowe, a fan of the Connet Project, used samples from it in his 2001 film Vanilla Sky. Drug runners are believed to have used number stations on occasion. Uh, so too are the North Koreans, the Americans, the Cubans, and the British. Indeed, shortwave hobbyists suspect MI6 was behind the most famous number station on the planet, the much-revered Lincolnshire Poacher. An online group calling itself Enigma 2000, the first part is an acronym for the European Numbers Information Gathering and Monitoring Association, collecting data about number stations across the world. Jochen Schaefer, who heads the group's German branch, says of UVB 76, it's not so typical number station, but it is one. He says number stations begin the transmissions with a call sign, then move to a specifically produced introduction. Uh, the Lincolnshire Poacher, for example, got its moniker because every broadcast kicked off with the first two bars of the English folk song with the same name, 
before they started broadcasting numbers. The station is different because of its structure. Most of the time there is just the buzzing tone. The messages come at irregular times. But this anomalous format has prompted some UVB76 listeners to suggest that it is not a number station at all. One former high-ranking European official and longtime student of Soviet jamming of Western radio station, known to his fellow buzzer fans as JM, maintains that the buzzer's purpose the buzzer's purpose is to transmit code, coded orders to military units within Russia, not to spies outside its borders. JM notes that most of what has been pieced together about the station specs, its frequency of 4,625 kHz, its main 20 kilowatt transmitter, its 5 kilowatt backup transmitter, and its horizontal dipole antenna points to conventional military use. Brian Tiberis, a 21-year-old production engineer in Jacksonville, Florida, agrees and puts forward an even more innocuous theory to explain the disruptions of 2010. He believes it was merely pink noise manufactured by sound engineers to calibrate audio equipment, that's all. Everything that's happened points to an equipment upgrade or collaboration, Tiberis says. Uh, Boender, the financial consultant near Rotterdam, says he's now confident that UVB-76 is controlled by the military. He bases this conclusion on his analysis of known Russian uh, military stations. The type of sleuthing seems to be a large part of the appeal for him and other shortwave aficionados. He gives another example. We discovered a Russian network in the early 90s, but it took us a couple years before we actually found out who they were. It appeared to be a network of Soviet embassies, consulates, ministries, and most likely also the KGB and GRU, which is the um, foreign intelligence agency for Russia. A number of people around the globe listened, and we exchanged messages and recordings and analyzed them until finally we discovered who they were. That's also what makes it fun. It took a 37-year-old computer engineer uh, in Tallinn, Estonia, to drag UVB-76 into the internet era. In the process, Andrus Aislade has expanded the station's audience in a way that no devoted listener could have anticipated. Aislade says, in the era of the internet and corporations, people's lives are so well-planned and predictable. In some ways, UVB-76 represents the good kind of unpredictability and mystery. Hooking up the relay was technologically simple but physically challenging. To make his antenna, he scrounged up 230 feet of copper-plated wire, and in the middle of the night, he strung it between the roof of his office and the roof of his apartment building, going back and forth several times. Then he hooked up his shortwave scanner to his computer, to handle the streaming radio, uh, sorry, the streaming audio, he used a British uh, service provider called Mixstream. Several weeks later, he upgraded to a custom-built magnetic loop antenna and swapped out his scanner for a software-based radio. Over the next six months, 200,000 listeners from scores of countries dropped in. Like any good shortwave junkie, Aslade watches the watchers, noting that after the U.S., the number of the number two source of interest was Russia. And Aslade says he received numerous email messages from artists and musicians who said the buzzer had inspired them. Uh, X-Ray Press, a math rock band in Seattle, released an album this year called UVB76, which features buzzer-like buzzing in the background. Sherry Miller and Mario Fanone, two electronic musicians in Buffalo, New York, did them one better by naming their band UVB76 and starting each live set with a brief sample of the buzzer. Uh, Fanon plays a Casio digital guitar and a trumpet, while Miller generally plays a Korg Electribe, though sometimes she plays a vacuum cleaner 
running its whoosh through an effects pedal to enhance its sound. Aslaid remains fascinated. It has transmitted voice messages, it has been mute, its frequency has been hijacked, it has run through the maintenance with all related voice messages and test runs, it's had loads of strange noises transmitted 24 hours with extremely high power all around the world. Uh, in a typically rapturous email about just what the station means to him. Therefore, I have fallen for it. When he was asked why anyone cares about UVB-76 and why they should care about shortwave in general, he replies by invoking the universal connectivity that this primitive technology allows, even in the places far from a cell tower. Imagine somebody with a Morse key or a reel-to-reel -reel tape deck in the middle of the Nambia Desert, running a shortwave transmitter, off of a diesel generator and sending music or messages towards the ionosphere. In the middle of the night, it does not get any more spiritual than that. A new intrigue about UVB-76 is the question of its location. Soon after the upheavals of August and September 2010, with all the stopping and starting and knocking and whispering, shortwave listeners reported another remarkable shift. The station's position seemed to have moved. JM, the former European official, has since helped trace its rough location near the town of um, Paskov, close to Russia's border with Estonia, but no one has been able to triangulate exactly where the broadcast is coming from. Harry Boender theorizes that the move was related to Russian military reorganization that took place that September, when the Moscow and Leningrad military districts were merged to form a new command center in St. Petersburg, which would explain why UVB-76 too might have migrated hundreds of miles northwest. For the foreseeable future, though, the site of the transmitter has been added to a long list of its enduring mysteries. Today, the mini-military city of Poravovo, from which the cipher broadcast for so many decades, is nearly abandoned. The surrounding village is gray-brown tapestry of communist department buildings, uh, recently built dakas and babushkas hawking honey and cucumbers. Around the Voyeni Gorodok, there are gates and walls and signs, military vehicles only, but no guards or electrified fences, and the gates are not locked. The only activity is near the housing blocks filled with the wives and children and, grand and grandchildren of Soviet veterans, living and dead. This was like a paradise, said one resident, Natalia, whose late husband, Sergei, served as the driver to the commander of the Voyeni Gorodok. When asked about... Uh, the looming wrought iron fence roughly 100 feet from the entrance to her apartment building, she says she never strays through its gates. On the other side is the radio tower, and no one, according to Natalia, ever goes there. The one-lane road that leads to the tower stretches about a quarter mile past a handful of empty buildings in a thick pine forest. A chain-link fence supported by stone posts capped with moss surrounds the tower. Between 100 and 150 feet tall, it's red, white, and rusting. Three or four satellite dishes are attached to it, and next to the tower is a blue shed, a green metal hut stuffed with wires and electrical equipment, and an ancient stone structure that's also overgrown with moss. There does appear to be a large underground facility. The muddy pitch on which the tower stands is riddled with uh, metal cylinders, presumably ventilation shafts rising out of the ground, and there is a very small pink building that looks like the entrance uh, to a descending staircase. Also, there's a door that's partially ajar on the side of the stone structure. If you open it and peer inside, you'll see a black hole where there must have been a ladder several years or decades ago. And if you drop a rock in the hole, it'll take about a second to reach the bottom. 
whatever is down there is about 32 feet below ground. Just beyond the chain link fence and radio tower is another building which is one story and also pink. There is a large antenna outside and a tree, and a barking dog leashed to a cable that's strung from the tree to the building. The setup is that if you were to approach the front door, you would enter the jurisdiction, so to speak, of the dog, which barks endlessly and ferociously as if he has been beaten. The front door appears to be locked. There's no light on side. No one comes in or out, but someone has to have been there. The dog, after all, must be fed. So before we get out of here, I will tell you about what some thought of as a modern-day number station. Uh, it's called WebDriver Torso. WebDriver Torso was a YouTube channel with near with hundreds of thousands of videos. Uh, and they pump them out in batches. Each one consists of ten peculiar frames, each with two randomly placed and sized rectangles, one blue and one red. A n number of different theories um, have been trying to explain what WebDriver Torso is. Some believe that it was avant-garde art. Some believe the transmissions were instructions for drug cartels and others maintain the station was established for government agencies to receive coded messages while out in the field. It was actually none of those things. Um, it was actually a YouTube account. So Google created this account to see how well YouTube uploads were working. That way the YouTube team didn't have to spend a lot of time fixing uh, the upload system. So after the videos are uploaded to YouTube, uh, they're then compared to the videos uh, before they were uploaded to see if any quality was lost. So it was just an accidental conspiracy that was ruined by reality. And that's too bad sometimes. I don't always want a reasonable explanation. I would have preferred this one uh, to just continue and be a mystery. Like, you know, Bigfoot was a whole lot cooler when I was 12. Something that happened this week um, I thought was interesting was, um, the news with the UFOs. So this week, the Pentagon officially confirmed that the three videos circulating for some time, I think it was the end of eight, 2018 and beginning of 2019, the videos came out anyway. Um, the videos, if you can look them up, if you haven't already watched them, one is FLIR, F-L-I-R, the second is Gimbal, G-I-M-B-A-L, and the third video is just called Go Fast, all one word. So the Defense Department said that they uh, uncorked the videos this week to dispel any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage uh, that had been circulating was real or whether or not there is more to the videos. So even with the U.S. government confirming that these are authentic videos from them, that they've recorded unidentified aerial phenomena, no one really cares. I mean, I, I care about it, but the general public just collectively shrugs Sometimes Hat says that I'm too vague on these shows, on where I stand on things. So I'll say this about the videos. I don't believe that any government knows what these objects are outside of their existence. Uh, I, do I do believe they've tried to hide them. I think governments have given misinformation, uh, trying to prevent panic. And I'm pretty open to what they could be. I think there is something there, but I, I can't tell you what it is. For sure, we're not the only beings in the universe. So it could be aliens, or it could be a probe from an intelligent life uh, somewhere out there. It doesn't mean that I'm saying that there's aliens in these unidentified objects. I'm just saying it could be. We could get crazy and say it could be something from another dimension or time travelers. Those are 
technically possible. Uh, so there is mystery here, and I think there is something to it. I just don't know what. Even in the Tulpa episode, we discussed how they could possibly be uh, a collective unconscious of everyone on, on Earth. We don't know. I do think it's something, but I don't know what that something is. Just that it's not man-made. So maybe we'll never find out. But if we don't, we can still enjoy the mystery, just like the mystery of the number stations. However something's packaged, information that isn't meant for us, it's enticing. I, I have to assume wherever you are in the world that there is something uh, that just draws you in and is fascinating when you hear or see something that isn't meant for you. So since today's episode was about a real thing, for the next topic, I say why not really go off the rails? So the next one will be incredibly ridiculous. Um, the online shortwave radio I mentioned at the top of the show is actually down for repairs. Uh, so I'll also recommend HTTP colon uh, forward slash forward slash, that's backward slash, backward slash, 69.27.184.62 colon 8901. If you have any problem finding that or anything else, just send me a DM at this is po 2 on Instagram and I can shoot you a link. So from hat to myself, thank you for listening. Hope everyone's staying safe out there and finding something to do with their time. Maybe start a project or, I don't know, start a podcast, start a band, write a book, clean your kitchen. I don't know. Do something, but stay safe. So that's it for me on Instagram at thisispo2, um, at hats the producer. So we will be out. And until next time, if you don't know, now you know. It's my father's voice drilling off, sailors sailing off in the morning. For the air conditioned rooms at the top of the stairs. His jaw's been broken, his bandages wrapped too tight. His fangs have been pulled and I really want to see you tonight There's bourbon on the breath of the singer you love so much He takes all his words from the books that you don't read anyway His jaw's been broken, his bandages wrapped too tight His fangs have been pulled and I really want to see you tonight In my backyard to show me love My voice is climbing walls Smoking and I want to love My job
heart is wrapped in ice My thanks have been pulled And I really want to see you tonight And it makes no difference to me And they cried all over on the seas When it's hot places tonight I'm not going Thank you. 